0: squadron they called him bullets but we call him greg kelly greg kelly is on the air on the red apple podcast network uh hello 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 it's been a long uh not very exciting morning of listening to, uh, oral arguments before the Court of Appeals in Washington, D.C. Donald Trump is not in Iowa, not in New Hampshire. He was in, uh, Washington, D.C. as, uh, they were arguing. The president is immune from prosecution for basically everything he does as president. And maybe that sounds a little bit, though, well, no man is above the law. Well, actually, uh, look, you gotta look at it this way. Can you have a president of the United States? making decisions, uh, being president under the threat of constantly being sued. Um, there is a very unique position in America called the presidency. It is unlike anything else in the government. Our founding fathers knew that, and they pondered this position very, very carefully. And I do believe that they wanted the president actually to enforce the laws, but not to be subjected to them in what would invariably, inevitably be a highly partisan political manner, all right? you got to let the president be president. Now, here's an example, right? What if the president is, say, given an option, right? Mr. President, we have a terrorist in Yemen, and he is moving from point A to point B. He is in a car, and we need the order to take him out via a drone attack, yes or no, all right? Well, let me see here. Yes or no? I want to say yes. All right, Mr. President, but we have to warn you that there are women and children nearby. We cannot guarantee that those women and children will not be killed. And there is also a report that some of those women and children may, in fact, be American citizens. Hmm, That's a tough one. But now who is this guy again? Mr. President, this is a uh, hardened terrorist who is committed to destroying America and is actively assembling bombs and missiles and recruiting young men to actually go to America and blow things up. All right, I think it's worth the risk. We got to kill him. Boom! Take him out. All right, now he weighed the options. Now, what would happen if the president could be sued? For the collateral damage there, right? What if, uh, the women and children or the relatives thereof, let's say women and children were killed in that attack. Collateral damage. It does happen in war. It does happen. You gotta factor that in. You don't want it to happen, but it does happen. Should the president be sued for that? I don't think the president should be sued for that. I don't think the president should be held liable for that. Criminally liable. I, I, I don't. He was being president. He was making decisions. We trust him to weigh the pros and the cons and to act on the best interests of the country, right? There is a provision, basically, the Constitution, the Federalist Papers. You can look it up where they thought about these scenarios, not necessarily a drone attack, but things that the president would do in the interest of the country, and he should not be subjected to follow-up prosecution once he leaves office. Now, uh, what about the election of 2020? Well, 61 courts said that there was no fraud. The president is under no obligation whatsoever to listen or to even care about what judges said or did not say about the election of 2020. Neither is he under any obligation to know about, care about, or listen to any mid-level campaign managers from New Jersey, like Bill Stepien, who said, Mr. President, I think you lost this one. Uh, Thank you, Bill. Get the hell out of this room, because I know I didn't. The president is allowed to believe that, is allowed to think that. And by the way, I happen to believe that he's right. Uh, he doesn't have to – it does not say anything in the Constitution about some mid-level manager from New Jersey like Bill Stepien calling this election. It says nothing about Nora O'Donnell and her hair calling the election. It doesn't. It actually says something about the Electoral College – And the gathering of those electoral votes and those votes being transmitted to Washington, D.C., and the vice president counting those votes. All right? So there's more of a process there than listening to some guy or some girl who went to Georgetown University she must know with her hair and the lights and the glamour and the TV studio. Since when did we delegate our democracy, our democracy, to a bunch of nitwits on TV? NBC News, ABC News, CBS, MSNBC, CNN. Who cares? Who cares? They weren't around when the Constitution was around. Look it up. Let's look at the Constitution. What does the Constitution actually say? The president also, if he suspects that the election was messed with, do you want a president to just accept that? I think it's well within the scope of a president to care about the quality of the election. Yeah, but he's biased. Well, once he became president, we kind of uh we kind of give him a pass on that. He's elevated to a certain point, elevated to make the best calls as he sees them in the best interest of the country. And I think on paper at least if you have a president who's concerned about the fairness of the election, they are allowed to object. They are allowed to investigate. They are allowed to blow off what Bill Stepien and his friends said about some election. What does Bill Stepien know? The only thing I know about Bill Stepien is uh Bridgegate. Didn't he have something to do with Bridgegate? I don't know. what. I, they keep saying that the president knew he lost the election. Why? Because – Pat Sipalone told him so. Who is Pat Sipalone? When's the last time President Trump listened to anybody? And he doesn't have to. He does not have to. And it's actually in his best interest to not listen to people. What do I mean by that? Remember, um, Remember the darkest moment in his campaign? What do you think it was? There were a million things, right? There were a million times where we thought he was down and out. But the time that everybody really thought, okay, the election's over. Was the Access Hollywood weekend. Remember that? The Access Hollywood tape? When you're a star, they let you do anything. You can, right? Everybody misread that tape by the, by the way. He wasn't uh, boasting about sexual assault. He was stating a fact that rich, famous celebrities tend to do very well with the ladies. Sorry. It's, it is what it is. They let you do anything. That's consent. Let. L-E-T. They all, they all fake news did on that one big time. Lying to people or even not even just not 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 noticing just, oh, the overall tone is such and such. Therefore, anyway, um everybody told him that he lost the election, that it was time to actually concede before the election. Reince Priebus, the chief of staff, later became the chief of staff. He was the head of the Republican Party, a guy named Reince. What is up with that name, by the way? Reince. Reince Priebus told him, Mr. President, uh, the only way. The only way to salvage this situation is for you to bow out and give the nomination to Mike Pence. Okay, Reince, uh, thanks for nothing. Get lost. I don't think that it was locker room talk. It was. Lo- it was locker room talk. I've heard all kinds of things in my life. I've heard all kinds of things, and that that was not that was not all that. It was not all that much. You don't necessarily say it around women, and he didn't. He said it in a bus full of men, full of. <laughs> It was okay, all right? So he doesn't have to listen to anybody. And, you know, what? it's It's a good thing because most people are wrong. Most people are wrong. You know, if he came into office, first of all, he never would have run for president. He never would have run for president if he um, listened to everybody, the experts. He would not have campaigned in the manner he campaigned. He would not have governed the way he governed. He would not have made peace with Kim Jong-un. He would not have uh, spent political capital on building a wall. There, So many things he did that the entire establishment said, you cannot do and you should not do. He so said, get lost, I'm going to do it for the good of the people. And you can disagree with him about all that stuff. Maybe you think it's not for the good of the people. Um, now, we can have that discussion, but we really can have a discussion that President Trump was under some sort of obligation to follow the advice of advisors. He's not. Constitutionally, he's not. The power is with the president. None of these people are mentioned anywhere in the Constitution. The Deputy National Security Advisor, Matt Pottinger, that wuss who gets a lot more credit than he deserves because he went to China once, Matt Pottinger, he was one of those other January 6th resignations. I was so appalled by what I saw on January 6th. Yeah, so was I. Ashley Babbitt getting shot and killed by a cop. Have you seen some of the work I'm doing out there? You can go to YouTube. I talked to Aaron Babbitt, the husband of Ashley. This is, you know, being associated with uh, Aaron Babbitt and that cause has been one of the, one of the great honors of my life. It really has been. And, you know, sometimes... You just look within. You just do what's right and screw everything else. Now, on January 6th and January 7th, you remember the tone. You remember what people were saying. I refused to give in. I refused. There's truth and there are lies, and I'm not going with the lies. I am going with what I see right in front of me. I'm going with my, my knowledge, whatever wisdom I've accumulated, Uh, I'm going with God and I don't care if I'm the only one or there are three people in the room, you got to do the right thing. And, and Aaron Babbitt, and what happened to her? That was wrong. That was wrong. And there isn't a person in the world who can give you a logical, uh, defense of that. Now they can give you an emotional defense and that's what they always do. And that's how, you know, they're losing. Emotionally, she was she was trying to stop the peaceful transfer of power. She was. Well, you don't get. <laughs> all right. That's fine. Uh You can't prove that. But we have a woman who was in a window 15 feet away from Michael Bird, who shot her without warning, by the way. No warning. Hey, here's something else. Michael Bird was not in uniform. When I tell people that that kind of changes it up a little bit. He was just a guy in a suit with a gun. And she, from her vantage point, we don't believe that she could see him. Anyway, we have any of these tapes from this morning? You got them, right? Okay, we got one. Now, they're not the most interesting thing in the world to listen to. You got two lawyers in there, one for Trump, one for the government. And he had about 70 lawyers in the room with him cheering him on. Trump didn't have that many. But uh, which which side is this? Which side is this? Well, let's listen. Oh, this is sour. He's got a bit of a
1: rough voice, but he's brilliant. Uh, go ahead. Order seal team six to assassinate a political rival. That's an official act in order to seal team six. He, he would have to be and would speedily be, you know, uh, uh, impeached and convicted before the criminal but prosecution. If but if you weren't, there would be no criminal prosecution, no criminal liability for that. Chief Justice's opinion of against against Madison and, uh, uh, and our Constitution and the plain language of the impeachment judgment clause all clearly presuppose that what the founders were concerned about was not... I ask a you game. a yes, no, yes or no question. Could a president who ordered SEAL Team 6 to assassinate a political rival who was not impeached, would he be subject to criminal prosecution? If he were impeached and convicted first. So, so. your answer is is, yeah. is. My answer is qualified, yes. There is a political process that would have to occur under our, the structure of our Constitution, which would require impeachment and conviction by the Senate. And in these exceptional cases, as the OLC memo itself points out from the Department of Justice, you'd expect a speedy impeachment and conviction. But what the founders were much more worried about than using criminal prosecution to discipline presidents was what uh, James Madison calls in Federalist Number 47 the, the, you know, the, the newfangled and artificial treasons. They were much more concerned about the abuse of the criminal process for political purposes to disable the presidency from factions and political opponents. And, of course, that's exactly what we see in this case. I've, I've asked you a, a series of hypotheticals about criminal actions that could be taken Hey, stop a for pre- a second.
0: You know who you got to listen to tonight? Mark Levin. No one's going to be better on this than Mark Levin. Nobody in the world. Now, the fake news is trying to paint that moment as a big win for Jack Smith because of the ludicrous question about... Well, if the president ordered SEAL Team 6 to kill a presidential uh, rival, a rival or something like that, could he be prosecuted? Now, ordering SEAL Team 6 to kill a presidential rival, that would be outside presidential duties. That's what I would say. That's outside the scope of presidential duties. It's interesting. In the military, we always had this – they had an investigation. If you crashed a plane, if you shot somebody by accident, right – They had a safety investigation, a legal investigation, a a culpability investigation. They had all these investigations. And one of them, the first one, was to figure out if this was in the line of duty. Were you in the line of duty? Were you doing your duty as described by, well, your oath of office, the commission, uh, your job description? Were you doing your duty? Now, I would say that... Ordering SEAL Team 6 to kill some guy that you don't like is outside your duty. But um, promoting and defending a free and fair election and exhausting your options under the Electoral Count Act of 1887, that is very much within the duties of a president in the line of duty, ergo He cannot and should not be prosecuted uh, for that. But you see the way this is potentially going. Some of these judges had a good question. You know, Um, they had good questions. Uh, And then we'll hear from the other side. Trump was in the courtroom, in the courtroom. Oh, and he said some dynamite stuff right after. I'll have it when we come back.
2: Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse?
0: Did you hear Michelle Obama ask, "Skip her, skip her, get back"? Uh, all right, Trump. Right after this thing, um, had a few things to say. Hey, did you hear the prosecutor in Atlanta? The prosecutor going after Trump, Fanny uh, Fanny Willis in Atlanta, uh, allegedly having an affair with a prosecutor she hired to help with the anti-Trump work, and he's getting paid a lot of money, and they go away on vacations together. She is perhaps personally profiting. From the prosecution of Donald Trump, Fannie Willis, I'd like to know more. All right, here's Trump just a few minutes ago, right after that hearing in Washington.
3: Numbers came out today that are uh, really very mind-boggling if you happen to be Joe Biden. And I think they feel this is the way they're going to try and win. And that's not the way it goes. That will be bedlam in the country. It's a very bad thing. It's a very bad Precedent. as we said, it's the opening of a Pandora's box, and it's a very, it's a very sad thing that's happened with this whole situation. Uh, when they talk about uh, threat to democracy, that's your real threat to democracy, and I feel that as a president, you have to have immunity, very simple, and if you don't, as an example, if uh, this case were lost on immunity, and I did nothing wrong, absolutely nothing wrong, I'm working for the country. And I worked on uh, very hard on voter fraud because we have to have free elections. We have to have strong voters, we have to have free elections, those two things almost above all. And we found tremendous voter fraud. We have a list of it, we have some findings if you want it, the press doesn't like reporting it, but we found tremendous voter fraud, determinative voter fraud. But we worked on that, that's what I was doing. And uh, they were talking about after. Well, nothing has to do with after I left. It was during the time. And that was what they really focused on today during the appeal. And they concede that and everybody concedes that. And if it's during the time, you have absolute immunity.
0: So he's right. (laughs) He's right. And I'm very intrigued about that determinative voter fraud. Greg Kelly, on the Red Apple Podcast Network.
4: 4-5-B, we got shots fired in the lobby. We got shots fired in the lobby of the house chamber. Shots are being fired up, and it went strong. It's the fire at them. We have guns drawn. Don't make sure we leave that in.
0: Don't leave that in. I'm
4: casting fo- shots fired on the house fire again.
0: All right, well, uh, mm, uh that's Michael Byrd all panicky after his itchy trigger finger uh grabbed his gun and shot Ashley Babbitt. He's saying some things there that are untrue. Uh We have been shot, and we are prepared to shoot back. He had already shot them, and there was no incoming fire. Now, we believe that that audio sequence you just heard came from within maybe a minute after, after, after he shot Ashley Babbitt. That's Michael Bird's voice. Seeming to, um, I don't know, trying to, what do they say? Create a narrative, a narrative that he was under fire and then they returned fire. He returned fire. A fake news narrative that uh, largely, well, it's kind of worked in a weird way for him. But I think his luck is running out and the truth is coming. And one of the brave truth tellers about January 6th and so much more is my next guest, Cara Castronova. Uh, you know her from uh network T V and you know her from the ring. She was a champion boxer, but she has really provided a public service in advocating for these people. So many of them have been unjustly prosecuted and thrown in jail. Cara, how are you?
2: I'm good. How are you? Thank you for having me.
0: You bet. Hey, number one first, uh I don't know how much you are aware of this, but the uh the by bi- the Aaron Babbitt lawsuit, if you go through the thing, it's dynamite stuff. Filed almost three years to the day of January 6th, and uh, the allegations against Bird. I mean, my gosh, he violated the Capitol Hill police rules, and it looks like the law, and uh, he's filling in a lot of blanks for us. What do you think of that thing?
2: I mean, it's a great lawsuit. I'm so glad they got it filed. Uh, a, a number of other lawsuits were filed as well. But I read through it, and I saw all of the stuff uh, that you're talking about regarding uh, Michael Byrd shooting at a car of kids that were driving, That a, a stolen vehicle. He just opened fire on the vehicle, apparently. Some of the bullets ricocheted and hit neighboring houses. So this is a really kind of deranged guy that obviously shouldn't have been, you know, Trusted with a gun, with a firearm in the Capitol, who doesn't, you know, who's he's notoriously a bad shot, obviously. It says, I mean, apparently it says that in the lawsuit as well. So I'm hoping that through Discovery, and I've spoken to Aaron Babbitt, he's a friend of mine as well, as well as some of the lawyers from Judicial Watch, they're really hopeful that a lot of Discovery will shed some light on. What happened that day on January 6th and who was giving orders and why people and officers like Michael Byrd were acting so, you know, I guess, so out of line with the law and and shooting at at, uh, Trump supporters and others were seen beating female Trump supporters as well.
0: So do me a favor. Give us the lay of the land right now. I got to admit, my head is a little bit spinning because there are a lot of names that are emerging people now uh, filing lawsuits and uh, you got Ray Epps floating around out there. Just big picture Right now, what's happening with January 6th uh, from from your perspective? What Where do things stand?
2: Well, big picture right now is it's the three-year marker, and they're still saying, and people are panicking because, you know, the government is still saying that they're going to come out and arrest thousands more this year, people that were just outside meandering around, and they're just terrorizing people. So uh, because of the three-year marker, the statute of limitations ran up for a lot of things. So there were about, I'd say, five to eight lawsuits filed right before January 6th on January 1st, 2nd, and 5th, uh, one of those lawsuits being a gentleman who encountered Ray Epps that day and felt like he was, uh, you know, entrapped somewhat by Ray Epps, and he's a J6 defendant who has a trial next month, so he's suing Ray Epps. He filed the lawsuit on Friday, last Friday, um, suing Ray Epps for conspiracy, for conspiring with the government to, and this is, you know, alleged, this alleges everything in his lawsuit, that he that Ray Epps conspired with the government to Pretty much, uh, you know, rile up the crowd and um, violate people's constitutional rights. So it's a really interesting lawsuit that is out there right now, and it's up on the Gateway Pundit. We posted an article on it today. And Ray Epps was actually sentenced today. To, uh, the uh, prosecutor had asked for six months, which, as we know, is a ridiculously low request, considering that they were asking for 33 years for. Enrique Taria, who got 22 years in jail, Ray Epps wound up getting no jail time. He was sentenced today to one-year probation with no restrictions on his travel, six months, no um, I'm sorry, 100 hours of community service and to pay a $500 restitution. Ray
0: Epps was, was sentenced just today to one-year probation?
2: To one-year probation.
0: All right, no now here's time. the deal. Let's do me a favor because uh, there are all kinds of uh, allegations about Ray Epps floating around, and I don't really understand who Ray Epps is and what's really going on here. What is the thinking? Now, I've seen him on video where he says, you know, we have to go to the Capitol. We have to go to the Capitol. And he does say peacefully, but everybody in the crowd seems to think he's a Fed. And then there's another time where he's witnessed uh, whispering to somebody. And that's really all I know about Ray Epps.
2: It's, it's, it's a crazy story because, you know, I guess if you looking in, like, you could say, okay, you know, he was saying things that I guess are constitutionally protected, but the fact of the matter is other people on January 6th said things that were way less are being convicted of multiple years in jail. Like, just people that were walking outside or walked in peacefully or said something like, whose house, our house, that speech was held against them at trial, and they were all convicted to jail time. Whereas Ray Epps was seen on January 5th and January 6th uh, encouraging people to go into the Capitol, saying that we're going to go into the Capitol, the Capitol's this way, directing the crowd constantly to go into the Capitol. um, And also he was seen pushing a metal flag into a group of cops, and a lot of the people that were just touching that flag, that had their hand on that flag that day, were all convicted and sentenced to jail time for it. He was the one who actually was pushing the flag and who was directing the pushing of the flag. So there's so many things that he was doing in the crowd that day. Between uh, he, was at, he was at the first two breaches, at the, at the very first breach, where he was seen whispering in uh, Ryan Samsell's ear right before Ryan Samsell pushed down a gate. They put Joe Biggs, who was a, a proud boy, in jail for 17 years, and they allege that that Joe Biggs was the one who actually whispered something to Ryan Sampson and made him push through that gate. And that happened minutes before, while Ray Epps whispered in his ear literally a couple seconds before he blasted through a gate.
0: So what do we think? Like, what's the theory about Ray Epps? What is the theory? What do we think? Mm -hmm. A lot
2: of people think he's a federal agent, and I think that their suspicions are warranted because of the way that he's been treated with these kid gloves. You know, today he was sentenced uh, to no jail time, and the prosecutors have repeatedly gotten his back. It's very weird how the prosecutors are like, this guy is not a fed, he's a great guy, he's been bullied by the media, he's been bullied by far right-wing extremists. So when you have prosecutors actually standing up for a guy, and when you have the New York Times writing fluff pieces on him, calling him a victim of January 6th, and then the Washington Post and M S N B C in sixty minutes or doing hero pieces on him, you know something's not like legit or kosher there. It just doesn't make sense because he was seen that day uh, pushing the crowd to go into the Capitol, so the fake news generally will Report very unfavorably on anybody doing something like that on January sixth, but for whatever the reason, they're all in lockstep with calling him a hero and calling him a victim and saying that he, you know, he's a victim of these far right extremists who have ruined his life with their conspiracy theories.
0: All right, very interesting. I got to see that. I have not seen the flagpole stuff. I'm interested. I want to see it. I'll look at it. I'll look for it. Uh, yeah, it's a real head scratcher. Hey, so uh, some women have been injured uh, as well. And, and some of these names I had not heard of before. Can you tell me about uh, some of that? A woman who was, uh, I guess, allegedly assaulted by Capitol Police?
2: There was a woman named Victoria Wright who was assaulted. The video's out there for the public to see. Um, and she was punched in the head, uh, I think it was up to 30 times, in a very, very, you know, the guy was turning into the punches like he was Mike Tyson. Then he hit her over the head, uh, I think about a dozen times with a metal stick that's used to break windows. It's not even meant to hit people. And, uh, she, you know, she suffered brain injuries from this. She was bleeding. She blacked out. They, he beat, they beat her so bad that her jacket her shoes came off of her. And she was thrown back into the street later on in the day with no jacket and with no shoes. So, uh, you know, she really suffered, and she's suing the police, and, you know, she's also suing Mike Johnson, Speaker Mike Johnson, to do an investigation into her beating and into the violence on January 6th that were perpetrated towards protesters that day, trying to get to the bottom of why police were acting so, I guess, out of character. So Victoria White is one that is suing that not many people know about. There um, were no- a number of other women that were beaten that day, and video has emerged, but unfortunately most of them are afraid to come forward and sue because they don't want to be targeted by the government. Victoria was already sentenced to jail time, so she doesn't really have that fear because she was already tried and sentenced, and she pled out. Yeah. And now she's suing. And then, you know, of course, the story of Roseanne Boyland, who was beaten as well, and still nobody knows her story, which is very sad. Hopefully this year things will change, and Mike Johnson will order an investigation into January 6th. Hopefully All right, let Mary me jump in
0: for a second. I want to ask- Ask you this though. Overall, here's a theory that I look. We saw cops uh, with the doors open, letting people in. We saw that. I, I you know, it's just incredible. My theory is, and it might have been done through a wink and a nod. I'm not sure how they pulled this off, but uh, Nancy Pelosi, uh, the Democrats, they were afraid of hearing the objections. They were afraid of the objections. They were afraid of what would come out that day. And it's interesting, you know, people say the, the the protesters were out to stop the counting of electoral votes. I don't think that's the case. I think that they were led in to so that the objections would be halted. The objections well, to the electoral count would be halted. The debate would stop, and you'd have to certify the election just, you know, because, oh, after all, it's been violent, and we have to, and a lot of people did. They got scared, and they withdrew their objections.
2: Well, you're one of the only people who have actually been able to pick up on that because it's absolutely true. Not many people. I mean, it's so obvious, but most people just it just goes over their head that what was going on that day was an objection to the electoral certification. There were multiple people, like Gosar, who was the one who was interrupted. Representative Gosar, he was actually about to present information to all of the network TV that was there uh, filming. Like they were not uh, they were not filming the Trump rally. They were actually had the cameras focused for the first time on people that were going to bring arguments about why they felt that the election was stolen, all of the things that happened during the election that was not legitimate or, in their mind, not legitimate. And the American public had never seen this information before. It was really something that was only shared on right-side media and all right media. And now, for the first time, the mainstream media was going to be forced to cover it because all cameras were on these representatives that were going to bring these arguments that day. So you're absolutely right in saying that the only people who had to lose that day by this, uh, quote-unquote, break-in of the Capitol were Trump supporters and people who wanted to see these arguments made by these senators and by these representatives, that got interrupted. The objections got interrupted to the Electoral College being certified, not the actual certification. So all of these crimes they're charging people with, like obstructing the certification of the Electoral College isn't even a valid crime because that's not what was actually happening that day. People were objecting, and the only people who had anything to gain from that was Nancy Pelosi, was people who were actually you know, trying to suppress this type of speech and this type of information from getting out to the public.
0: Wow. Um, hey, by the way, it's constitutional to raise an objection to an election. It happens every election. It actually happens every single election. What doesn't happen, though, those concerns are usually not as... Widespread and I think uh, responsibly and deeply held as they were re- regarding the 2020 election. So you had very serious people, not just one-off congressmen like Jamie Raskin in 2017. Uh, under the Electoral Count Act, you need a, a member of the House and a senator, and it's got to be in writing, and they had all that stuff, and it was actually it was actually happening. Uh, all right, so Kara, uh, what you said. You said something. You said alt-right media. What do you mean by alt-right media? Well,
2: they like, I mean, that's probably the worst, wrong way to put that. People that are, I guess, you know, nowadays there's, there's mainstream media, then there's great organizations like Newsmax, and then there's there's organizations like Gateway Pundit, like Revolver News, like Epoch Times, where like a subset of people only read it, so people that are perceived to be on the right, but really I call them classical liberals that just believe in freedom and believe in freedom of speech and don't believe in throwing people in jail for exercising their constitutional rights, so there's a whole new type of media right now out there and it's a threat to the mainstream media because they generally don't have to follow the false narratives that the mainstream media is forced to push because of who's backing them so they're able to report more accurately and uh, you know they're really the people who have been reporting most on January 6th and on other topics that people tend to stay away from in the mainstream media or they tend to suppress
0: well uh, they're providing a real service a real service and so are you and forgive me for this is out of left field Cara Castronova, but what is your ethnicity?
2: I'm Chinese and Italian.
0: You know, it's interesting. I had a feeling that you might be Asian uh, part, but whatever. Why I ask is that so many people on the left um, mischaracterize us as being kind of race-oriented or racist or, you know, xenophobes or, or something like that, and we're not, obviously. It's about ideas, not what's on the outside, and... You know, when they say we're MAGA extremists, I don't know what that – I mean, what's wrong with supporting the idea of a border and legal immigration and less regulation, less taxes, uh, uh, preserving the uh, innocence of children? These are not right-wing extremist ideals, are they?
2: No, they're not. I mean, they're just human ideals, and, you know, it's really crazy to me that I've been – Called a right-wing extremist, you know, in the past couple years, just because, like, I believe in, I'm a free speech extremist. I believe, uh, you know, in bodily autonomy, and that you shouldn't have to get a vaccine if you don't want to, and all of these things have some. I believe in due process, and somehow I've landed on the side of being. Somehow, an alt, like you know, labeled and mislabeled as an alt-right person. When really, I consider, I've always considered myself a classical liberal. Left the Tem- Democrat Party because they completely jumped, you know, they jumped the shark. They've they've lost their minds and they don't stand for free speech and anything that I believe in. But it's just a, you know, it's just a way that the the Democrats right now, unfortunately in history, they race bait. They try to shame people like me that are minorities, uh, that are female, people in the LGBT community, anybody that wants to join the Republican Party. They'll call them a self-hating gay person or, you know, an Uncle Tom or some self-hating Jewish person. Like the horrible slurs they come up with to shame people from joining the Republican Party or even considering voting for someone like Donald Trump is really horrific and racist. Hey, forgive
0: me again. How old are you?
2: I'd rather not say, but let's just say I'm not young. I'm not young, or I'm not old.
0: Okay. Well, listen. <laughs> you you ran for the state assembly, and you got to tell the people at some point. Look, I oh, ask because I think you got a big future. You're remarkably articulate. You're remarkably smart. You uh, and you're you're so tenacious. Uh, you ran for the assembly. Uh, you lost that one, but most uh, most people who make it big in politics lose their first race. Um, what's the next move for you?
2: Well, you're right about that, too, because my, with, the, with the politics, actually, someone recently said that to me, and I looked into it, and it's sort of like boxing, which I also was like a lot of boxers lose their first title fight before they win. So hopefully I do. You know, I would love to go into Congress one day. I had been interested in running for Santos's seat, but that, that didn't work out, and they actually got a really fantastic candidate. I know her well. But... I would love to go to Congress just for the simple fact that I would go there as a populist candidate and I would, you know, fight for truth, for freedom. And, uh, you know, I wouldn't I wouldn't be in lockstep necessarily, I don't think, with with any party. I think I would go there with an independent mind. Well, we
0: love it, Cara. You look for the next opportunity and uh, we'll be there for you. Cara Castronova. So Check her out on social media. Cara Castronova. Castro, N-O-U-V-O?
2: N-U-O-V-A. <laughs> <Castronova>. <laughs> On Twitter.
0: N-U-O-V-A? N-U-O-V-A. Castronova. Thank you very much, Cara. And uh, our best to all the January 6ers, the ones who have been overly penalized and prosecuted and persecuted, those who did not hurt anybody or break anything, a lot of innocent people in jail right now. Thank you very, very much. We'll be right back. Greg Kelly on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Ooh, yeah, I knew it. I knew it. This uh, Michelle Obama podcast is getting more and more attention. I, uh, I think I was one of the drivers. She's out there saying that if you are black and indicted, there's no future for you in politics, i.e. there's a future for Trump uh, in politics, even with the indictments, because he's white, Anyway, I knew that was wrong. In about 10 seconds, I found about 75 uh, various black people who had been indicted for various things and uh, went on to win elective office. One guy was actually even in jail when he won the election. Gosh, she really thinks uh, not too much of uh, of her country, right? Ernest, you're in Rockland County. Hello.
4: Yes, sir. Mr. Kelly, thank you so much for your service. You're amazing. I appreciate you so much. Um, If you if you give this information to that lady, Kara, she could probably single handedly release all those people that are in jail. You were just talking about in October 2020. And anybody just can Google this. We get our courts back because Donald Trump did the greatest thing in the world and nobody knows about it. In 2020, he signed the executive order for the DPPA, the Due Process Protection Act. October 2020, Southern District of New York. Congress directs judges to remedy and prevent Brady violations. You just said it. If they did not commit any damage, injury, or insult, there has to be material evidence of that. That's a Brady violation. They've been dragged into a court against their due process protection rights. So they should pull that out. And and those people are
0: released. All right, hold on a second. My understanding of the Brady uh, the Brady concept is that the prosecutor has to turn over all information, even if it's exculpatory for the defendant. Right, right. Yes, sir. All right. So how does that? How does? I mean, uh, 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 I'm all ears here. But how does that apply here? How do we know they haven't been doing that? Well, actually, we know that some of the videotape, but I don't see the due process. I don't see. I don't get what you're saying.
4: Okay, very good. I'll, I'll try to simplify this. The, the Brady violation is this a prosecutor gets you into court with no tangible material evidence of damage. So they added to that law. they added part 5f and that is this and this is this is the mechanism, the trigger.
0: Well wait a second, you can be in trouble say for going somewhere you're not supposed to go without breaking anything, right right? Right?
4: You you can't be held guilty. Uh,
0: You can be guilty. Look, I'm going to look into it. This uh, DPPA. Thank you, Ernest.